Governor Barry is excited to announce that Comtel will be receiving a complete redesign in 2020. Customers who use Comtel to track markets, analyze trends, and stay on top of key industry news will see a host of new features. Streamlined navigation, customizable dashboards, and more will make Comtel an even more valuable tool for those impacted by the protein markets. Not already a Comtel subscriber? Then visit www.ubcomtel.com or call 732-240-5330 to schedule a demonstration today. Recent findings have shown that restaurant sales across the country improved just slightly in July with consumers both eager to eat out and worried that their favorite restaurant may be forced to shut down due to COVID-19 lockdowns. According to the National Restaurant Association, consumers did spend more money at restaurants in July. However, the uptick was only a 5% jump from June as some states rolled back reopening. In the previous two months, the jumps were over 25%. The North American Meat Institute signed a two-year alliance agreement with the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to provide NAMI members, the public and stakeholders with information, guidance, and access to resources that will help protect industry workers. The Alliance will help develop information on recognizing COVID-19 transmission risks and best practices for preventing transmission, as well as challenges for exposure control in meatpacking and processing facilities. That's about it today from the brand new RedesignedFoodMarket.com. Hello out there in podcast land and welcome to this week's segment of the Ernerberry Weekly Market Digest. This week, we are joined by a newcomer, not to Ernerberry, but to the podcast because I haven't been able to rope him in until now. Michael Nesbitt, he is actually our European seafood reporter as well as the pioneer into our new UK beef report. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Laura. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Yeah, can't complain. It's a stifling summer's day in Toulouse, but I'm good, thank you. Toulouse. So tell everybody about that. Where are you based and uh, how is it over there? I'm in uh, Toulouse, France, which is southwestern part of the country. Uh, It's a beautiful part of the world. Very peaceful, quiet. Um, The situation has improved quite a lot recently with um, restrictions and movement with regards to the pandemic. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. You should try to come out at some stage and visit your European office. I would love to. Once things settle down, I would love to. And you're buying Mm. the ticket, right? So. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Send me the send me the check. (laughs) Um, So so let's jump in here. So you have been doing some pretty exciting things. But we haven't heard from you just yet. So the listeners on this podcast really might not know much about you. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, can do. I'm actually fairly new to the price reporting world. Prior to joining Erner Barry, I worked for an economic reporting company where I was based in Southeast Asia for a little over seven years. I actually started off in an editorial role in Myanmar formerly known as Burma, then moved into a regional analyst position where I specialized in covering growth sectors and emerging markets. I then, as we know now, moved out to Toulouse, France, uh, to help expand Erna Barry's European market coverage, which has been somewhat of a a steep learning curve, but so far, so good. So that's kind of what I was doing before I joined the wonderful world of Erna Barry. 
I'm like, this is a safe space. So please tell us, how has it been being a market reporter for Erna Berry? Uh, to be honest, it was quite challenging to get going at first because Erna Berry is a well-known brand in the U.S. It has over 150 years of, obviously, experience and exposure, whereas in Europe, it's not as well-known, I think is fair to say. So kind of introducing the company and getting contacts to share information with me willingly to start with was somewhat of a challenge, but right now the brand is slowly building and things are progressing quite smoothly, I would say. Well, that's good news. I'll report that back to senior management. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're really, really glad to have you. It was so nice to meet you when you were here stateside, um, kind of got to hang out, uh, have some beers together and get to know each other. And that was a lot of fun. We're looking forward to the next opportunity, as a matter of fact. But now that yeah, we that, have you, go ahead. That was actually my first um, trip to the U.S. I was quite taken back by U.S. hospitality. So I'd definitely like to come out again. I just want you to know that nobody ever talks about the hospitality here in New Jersey. I am glad we're recording this. <laughs> we're not known for it, but, uh, you know, we pulled out all the stops for you. You're kind of a big deal. <laughs> so let's hop into your markets, right? European seafood. What do we cover yeah. in Europe? Okay, so right now we're covering four different species, two farmed and two wild. The two farm product would be um, Vaname, also known as white leg shrimp, and black tiger shrimp, also known as Pineus monodon. We cover a variety of uh, product specs from whole, headless, and a range of value-added items as well. Then on the wild side, we cover Pandalus borealis, which is also known as cold water shrimp, and Politicus muieri, which is known as Argentine red shrimp, which, as the name suggests, comes from the Argentine Sea. So that's what we're covering currently on the European market. And talk to me about the difference, right? So we've got a very, very widely referenced shrimp market here in the U.S. I'm thinking pretty soon we'll have a very, very widely referenced shrimp market there. Um, in the EU, what is the main difference between the two? How do they vary and how are they the same? Yes, so there's obviously a lot of similarities and like you mentioned, a lot of differences. When it comes to uh, shrimp, specifically farm shrimp, similar to the US, Europe is heavily dependent on imports from Latin America and Asia. So price movements are fairly reflective of one another, more so than they would be on let's say eggs or beef, for example, on those items, there's a lot of inter-European trade, whereas with shrimp, there is not. It's also worth noting that Europe tends to pay a premium compared to the US. That's a combination of many factors, one being the purchasing power of the US. If we talk market specifics, um, unlike the US, Europe has a massive shrimp cooking industry, which relies almost exclusively on tropical shrimp. That cooked and chilled shrimp trade, as it's known, exists between neighboring member states, the majority of which is sourced from Ecuador, as well as the likes of Argentina. Northwestern Europe, on the other hand, which includes the United Kingdom, Germany, 
the Netherlands, Portugal and Belgium are key markets for Asian shrimp, most of which is value-added items. Saying that, they still import a fair amount of Latin American shrimp. What's actually rather interesting about European consumption is the role of ethnic markets. So that would be, for example, your Turkish restaurants in Germany, your North African stalls in Spain, or, for example, your Chinese restaurants in London. These so-called ethnic markets absorb substantial raw product at the wholesale level. This would typically be your your industrial-style shrimp frozen in raw blocks with little to no value-added processes having taken place upon receipt. So that kind of gives you an idea of how the U.S. and European shrimp market may differ, I hope. I think so. And uh, I think you brought to light a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about as well, right? So when we talk about COVID, which is all anybody's really been talking about, the seafood market here domestically has really been ravaged, right? It's been a very difficult time. Uh, for seafood professionals in the U.S., starting to rebound, starting to rebuild. They're a very resilient group of people. How has that been for folks in your neck of the woods? And specifically, how has it been for farmers? Yeah, so the general narrative has changed from week to week. I'll give you an indication of how the market has performed as a whole, and then I'll answer your question on how it's impacted farmers. It's really been a case of mixed fortunes. It's worth noting that prior to the recent pandemic, the global rise in production of shrimp brought prices down, particularly Pacific white shrimp, or Vaname as it's commonly referred to in Europe. Um, If we talk more recently with regards to the pandemic, it's fair to say it's already had a lasting impact on the market and will leave some scar tissue. We're already kind of seeing a trend of the fittest will survive, not just for shrimp, but for seafood as a whole. If you talk about shrimp and the wholesale market in particular, most suppliers were somewhat insulated from the initial lockdown that took place in China. This was because their orders went out in advance of Chinese New Year celebrations, which is typically a good period for suppliers as the Chinese market pays as much as 30 cents higher per kilo compared to the European market. It is, by most accounts, an exceptional period for shrimp demand. However, it didn't take long for those tables to be turned. Softened demand out of China once Lockdowns kicked in, led to a decline in prices on the European market for Latin American produce in particular. In turn, importers, particularly those in Spain, ramped up purchases to take advantage of the weak prices, but their timing couldn't have been much worse with Italy and Spain, then France, quickly witnessing a spike in cases which led to lockdowns in those territories and essentially a halt in food service activity. Um, Similar to what happened to the U.S. at a later stage, those economies kind of came to a virtual standstill. So in a matter of weeks, shrimp demand literally halted across many many territories um, and sentiment 
quickly changed on calls with market participants as orders were returned. Um, even orders that were already at sea were, were cancelled. So it was and still remains to be a challenging period for many businesses, right? There was, of course, as you well know, Laura, an uptick in retailer demand, though that did not fill the void left by food service. So during this period, which has since been coined the panic buy kind of phase, you saw production lines geared towards retail buying overwhelmed, and those prioritized towards food service come to a virtual standstill with a lot of product kind of frozen in place. So during that period, what you had was a lot of product in the market that didn't have a, a, for lack of better words, a home to go to. So a lot of distressed product on the market, which impacted prices quite significantly. Um, during this period, we saw the so-called big food items benefit quite a lot. Um, so your customers were going to your retailers buying comfort foods and pantry staples, which so that was the major impact on a wholesale front. You also asked on on the farming side. So when it comes to what's happening on the on the harvesting front, it depends on what particular country you are you are referring to. Latin America and Asia are obviously the key origins of farmed product and the lockdown across those territories disrupted supply chains uh, significantly with farm gate prices at an all-time low, particularly for Latin American shrimp. As a result of these, what you could call pandemic-induced bottlenecks, farmers lost out on seed procurement and the hatcheries got saddled with stocks without any buyers. In some cases, uh, farmers managed to procure and stock the seed before the lockdown was enforced, but they then ran into the problem of obtaining feed, which seriously impaired farming activity. More recently, um, there's been a shortage of raw material and as I mentioned, farm prices, farm gate prices rather have been depressed and processors have shuttered due to pandemic challenges, which has put a major strain on future supply. So just today I was having conversations with market participants and because of um, the, that lack of farming activity, if you will, there's a lack of larger sizes of farmed shrimp on the market currently which is leading to a slight uptick in prices. Uh, this is because during March and April, a lot of farmers conducted emergency harvests and did not stock large quantities of shrimp. So, so we're kind of seeing that unfold currently on, on the market. That kind of gives you an idea of where the market sits, I hope. Yeah, I would say that it does. That's a lot of detail that we didn't have. That's good information and I think it's important to hear the farm side of it, right? Because mm. it, we hear a lot about wild caught. We hear a lot about, you know, people that are out on boats and, and catching, but we don't hear a ton, at least on this podcast, about seafood in general, even less about European seafood, and even less than that 
about farm seafood that's being traded in Europe. So we need this, and I'm glad that you're here to talk about it. Glad to be here. So let's talk about one other thing, right? So I gave a little bit of foreshadowing when I welcomed you to the show, but there's something pretty important that's happening right now as we're talking, and you are the man responsible for it. We're talking about UK beef. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. This is, this is like, this is big news. This is big news. UK beef market is big news. How long have you been working on this? What's your progress? Are you excited? Just dish. I want the tea. Yeah, so it's been um, another steep learning curve, probably more so than, than on the seafood front or on the shrimp front. But uh, we recently started covering the UK beef market. Um, that's actually went live with wholesale prices on Friday, which was actually a really exciting day just to see it go up on our site. Um, we're currently covering uh, three, uh, if you will, three different items, PGI under 30 months and over 30 months products. Um, what else can I tell you about UK beef? It's been thus far rather challenging, but it's, it's, it's an exciting project and it's going to be interesting to continue following. If any of your listeners out there are involved in the UK beef trade, please reach out if you want to discuss the market. I'm always looking for more contacts to speak with. But uh, yeah, so far so good, Laura. I just want to tell you, we're... I mean, my whole team is really excited about this. So no pressure, but there's a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) It's good stuff. We're really, really excited. Um, Really excited about the two new shrimp quotes. We've had a lot of interest generated just from those two quotes alone. They're very, very popular. And um, I think that this is going to be a really positive change and some great information for people who really need data right now. It's an important time. So if somebody who's listening right now were to say, all right, Mike, I know you can't forecast for me. I know you can't tell me because you don't have a crystal ball. What's going to happen? What are maybe some indicators that would be good for people to watch to kind of keep tabs on what's going on in the market? Mm, That's a, a, a great question. In terms of what lies ahead, I think it somewhat comes down to the agility of the supply chain as a whole, which is, as we know, is being tested daily. How the industry looks on the other side of this, that's a good question and fairly difficult to forecast. If, if anything, that will be interesting to document. If we take the, the glass half full approach, there is a lot to be asked, optimistic about. The industry itself is continually evolving, particularly on the agricultural front. So where there will continue to be challenges, there will also be opportunities. However, if we take the glass half-empty vision, I think it comes down to how long this pandemic hinders activity, if you will. Whichever view you take of the future, there will be scar tissue left behind. Let's hope it's not too severe and possibly in some ways supply chains are more efficient. We're already kind of seeing that, right? We've seen a lot of businesses kind of pivot that were previously just focused on food service, now kind of altering their production lines to meet 
retail demand. There, there's a lot of examples of what's happened on that front. So the industry is already proven its versatility. What's interesting on the trade front, there's a lot of things happening in terms of free trade agreements. Vietnam in particular has signed a free trade agreement with um, the EU, which is likely to have a massive impact on future supply. That's all else being equal. It's, as we already mentioned, it's difficult to predict what impact the coronavirus is going to have. Other things to keep an eye on on the future is Brexit, for example. Uh, the UK imports a lot of cold water shrimp from the likes of Denmark as well as Canada. So once that trade deal with EU partners is no longer in place, they will need to establish new agreements with third-party countries. So, so that in turn will also have an impact on the market as well. There's a lot every day the market's moving and literally week by week the narrative changes. So it's hard for me to to give an indication of where the market's headed, but hopefully that gives an idea of kind of what might influence it in the months to come. I would say so. Um, as a matter of fact, I follow pretty much all of those tags online so that I can keep on those things as well. So that's good information. Now, you mentioned, obviously, that it would be really important for you to be able to get in touch with people that want to get in touch with you. So if I have somebody listening right now that says, OMG, mm -hmm. I want to talk to this guy about Vanime. OMG, I want to talk to this guy about UK beef. What is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, they can either find me on LinkedIn at Michael Nesbitt at uh, Erner Barry, or they can drop me an email at mnesbitt at Barry. Dot com. Not if they're just reaching out to share information, but also if I have any questions on the market as a whole, I'd be happy to help. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for joining me. I know that um, there's a huge time difference. I know that you're busy covering brand new emerging quotes and markets, and it's an exciting time and a busy time. So I appreciate it very much. And I know in my heart that this won't be the last time we have you on the show. I hope so. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Thanks for having me, Laura. I hope you have a great day. It's my pleasure. You too, Mike. Take care. Cheerio. I hope all of you listening enjoyed this week's segment of the Ernerberry Weekly Market Digest with the amazing, the smart, and the very up-and-coming Michael Nesbitt, who's a market reporter for our European Seafood Report, as well as our brand new UK Beef Report. Definitely don't forget to send me your suggestions for future topics and guests at lzinger at earnerberry.com. Give me a call at 732-240-5330. And as always, don't forget to connect with Mike and me on LinkedIn to stay up to date on everything center of the plate.